Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, October the 7th, 2019, and today we are beginning a new study on the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Dr. Robert Coleman. And we are going to be looking through uh, over the next eight weeks, the eight chapters that we find in this book on evangelism. We hope that this time will encourage you in your personal evangelism, because ultimately we know that our team and hopefully you as well are committed to showing the kingdom of God to those who are perishing. And so today we will be joined by Blake Wilson, our Vice President of Operations, as he leads us through the introduction, the preface, and chapter one of the Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. I'm excited to have the opportunity to kick off uh, chapter one of the Master Plan of Evangelism. I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to teach us through the study of this book and His Word over the next few weeks. And today we're going to be looking at chapter one with our team uh, titled Selection. And this is really looking through um, Jesus' plan to take the gospel uh, to the world and how he used men as the method to do that. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 1 um, and then also looking through the gospels um, to, to hear Jesus' words and kind of what what does the scripture and how does the scripture paint the picture of what Coleman is describing in chapter 1 of this book. And, and really the, the first aspect of this is the calling of the 12 apostles we know that there were a lot of disciples that were following Jesus in the Gospels, but how he selected those 12 and invested in those 12 and what that selection process was like and why he did that, it's kind of the idea of this chapter. So we're going to look a little bit deeper at, at how he did that. And really, the I think a great starting point for us today is to look um, look at Luke chapter 6 and how Jesus did call those 12 apostles. And in verse 12, he says, in these days, he went out to the mountainside to pray. And I think that's key for us to understand that this wasn't a random selection process of these 12 apostles. This was um, this was a task that Jesus withdrew, spent time in prayer um, to the Father to seek guidance and clarity on what uh, what this selection process, process should be. So it says in verse 12, he, he withdrew to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And then when the day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12 who he named apostles. So in verse 14, it lists them. Simon, who was named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. So you can see the 12 apostles there and how Jesus spent time in prayer um, as he as he selected them. But he knew that, that men were going to be the method to taking the gospel to the nations. So he spent time strategically picking and relying on the Lord to reveal who these people were. And, and I think one of the key things that we don't want to skip over is the willingness of these men to learn and to follow. Um, these were men that uh, maybe were not going to be very impressive from the world standards, 
but these were men who had a heart to learn, who had a heart to follow um, Jesus and all that he was going to teach. Um, Coleman actually points out in, in his in his book that um, these, these men were uh, kind of the least. They, these were the ones that were raised in the poor section of Galilee. They would not have impressed anybody as being key or influential men. But what Jesus saw was potential for these men to become leaders for the kingdom. So he invested in them, um, even though the world viewed them as as uneducated. You know, Acts chapter four, um, which we just studied a couple a couple weeks back, um, talks about this, and it says, um, "Now, when when the boldness of Peter and John, um, now I'm sorry, now when the when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized." that they had been with Jesus. So so the world knew that, that these men were uneducated. They knew that they were common men. Jesus saw potential. But I love, I love the way um, Luke writes, writes about this in Acts chapter 4, is that because they had been in the presence of Jesus, because they had been with him, um, the world recognized that they were followers. They recognized that they had been um, transformed by the power of, power of Christ. And that they were willing to follow. So these men had a true yearning um, to understand God and to, and to follow Him. So Jesus concentrated on a few, on a few, um, and I think you know as he he had the disciples, he kind of narrowed that down to the twelve apostles, and then in a sense, in that in the group of apostles, he even had the inner circle, which were going to be Peter, James, and John. And you can read through the Gospels about how how these three specifically. Jesus brought into kind of a smaller circle. Um, they're mentioned specifically in the Gospels at the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of, of Gethsemane. And then one in particular that I wanted to look at a little bit deeper was um, Jairus' daughter. When Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from, from the dead, these men were the ones that were in the inner room. Um, and it says there in Luke chapter 8, so when he arrived at the house of Jairus, so you remember this was, he was on his way he got stopped by the, by the bleeding woman who touched the hem of his garment there in Luke eight. So when he finally arrived, Jairus' his daughter had already had already passed away. And it says when he arrived to the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except for Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. So I think this you think about this picture of a mom and a dad who have just lost their child. Um, what a what a what an event. Um, what an emotional time of just a family who is completely distraught in mourning. And Jesus walks into this situation and he brings in these three guys. That is such an intimate moment um, with a mom and a dad and a child who is who has passed, um, that Jesus saw these three men um, as, as key members of his, of his apostles and invited them into this, um, just this critical situation to observe. And I think that says a lot about the character of these three guys um, and Jesus' investment in them. I think sometimes when we're trying to, to disciple other people, we have to expose them to, to very difficult things and to hard things. And I, you know, I, I picture Jesus in this inner room ministering to this mom and dad and and ultimately see this this young girl um, come back to life. But, you know, I, I, thinking through what, what were Peter, 
James and John doing? You know, were they on the side of the room looking in and just in awe of what of what happened? Did they even say anything at all? Were they just observing? But just how Jesus was so intentional in investing in these few men is just a model that we can that we can learn from today of just the intentionality of investing in a small group of people um, for for many many years. To, so that they can um, take what they learn and make disciples themselves, just the model of disciples making disciples. Um, John chapter 17 really dives in a little bit deeper, and this is where I feel like you can see the heart of, of Jesus as he is praying for his disciples. So he's he selected these men, he's investing in these men, he's bringing them into his inner circle, they're observing miracles, but Jesus has such a heart to see these men grow, to see these men become um just tools and, and mechanisms for the gospel to go forward to the world. Um, he just, he intentionally prays um, for the for them. And that is, that is written for us in John chapter 17, starting in verse 6. And he says, I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. And now that they have everything you have given me, and it comes from you, for I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in this world no longer but they are still in this world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be the ones, one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in this world, so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. I've given them to to I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth of your word. As you sent me into this world, I have sent them into this world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may truly be sanctified. Jesus is just just talking to the, to, to the Father, um, asking for for protection. Um, that these men, as he as Jesus leaves this earth, that Jesus will or that, that God will use um, his investment to take the gospel to the nations. He says, sanctify them by the truth. You know, protect them from the evil one. Um, you know, I have protected them while I'm here, but I will be here no longer because the scripture has to be fulfilled. So over and over, he's just he's just pleading with the Father um, to protect these these disciples. And I think that this this prayer just displays Jesus's true heart and love and compassion for the disciples um, as as he as he speaks to God um, here. So. Um, I think that it's it's important for us not to overlook the strategy that that Coleman is bringing out is that he focused on a few. He selected men that would be willing to listen, willing to follow, um, but he wanted to be intentional in focusing on a few so that the gospel could go to could go forward. 
you know, on, on there's one there's one quote that I do want to talk through that Coleman said that I think is so important for us, and I don't want to overlook it. He said in chapter one that we must decide where we want our ministry to count. Is it in the momentary applause of popular recognition? or in the reproduction of our lives in a few chosen people who carry on our work after we are gone. Really, it is a question of which generation we are living for. I think that's such a great question of, are we wrapped up with what is directly in front of our face, or are we um, looking to the future? Are we, are we keeping our eyes on heaven and saying, you know, are we investing our time, talents, and resources on what truly matters? Investing in the next generation so that the gospel message can continue to go forward. Are we investing in our staff? Are we investing in our friends, family, um, our children, so that they understand and have a true picture of who Christ is and what he has called them to do? Um, Psalm chapter 8 talks about the coming of the next generation and, 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 and the importance of sharing Christ from generation to generation to generation. And as a father, um, this chapter um, of Psalm, Psalm chapter 8 is just so challenging to me because it instructs us to tell the coming generation of the glorious works of God. Um, and it's, and, and as, I, as I study for this and as I read this, I just want to challenge you guys as well to, to think through um, how strategic you are being in telling the next generation about Christ so that when we are gone, that we are here for, for, a, for a glimmer, um, that the Lord will use the time that he's given us here on this earth to further the gospel. So Psalm 8 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them, tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to, to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Let's be intentional in telling the next generation. Let's follow the model of what Jesus did with his his disciples of investing in people, um, not you know not not just not just uh, on a surface level, but discipling them, um, investing in them, so that the next generation will know about Christ. How is the Lord going to use us this week to further the gospel, and how intentional are we going to be in following His commands to do so? Praying for you guys, and I hope you have a great week. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Costa Rica. We are praying for the country and the central authority that the Lord would reach the hearts of those at the central authority in Pani to help them to know him personally. We are praying that the Lord would provide Pani with wisdom and encouragement and resources as they evaluate children, families, and work hard to advocate for better processes as well. We specifically pray for our major contacts there, and we lift them up for Jorge, the adoption director, for Sonia and Elizabeth and Sylvia as they lead the adoption psychologists and social workers. We, we pray for the protection unit who oversees the license for unadopted and mission trips and trainings. We pray for the regional offices. There's a really big gap between the national office and the regional office, and we just pray that the Lord can bring resolution so that ultimately the whole system can better advocate for the children. 
We are, uh, Lord, just praying for the local churches and missionaries and organizations and their efforts to share Christ in the communities they care for. And specifically for Ray and Lydia Zirkel, missionaries who run the Methodist home and are partnering with us for adoption and unadopted. For Steve and Georgiana Thomas, missionaries who run the Abraham Project and partner with us for adoption. For Marjorie and Tyler, Costa Rican believer and husband who is now a missionary there who run a home and are partnering with us for adoption and unadopted. For Casa Viva, this is a Christian nonprofit that is running the entire foster care system for the country of Costa Rica. And we're praying for wisdom and opportunities for unadopted as we plan for future caregiver and foster care trainings as well as mission trips. The Lord truly is doing big things right now in this area in Costa Rica. We also pray for the children of Costa Rica, for their hearts, that they may learn of their Heavenly Father and that He will comfort them in their distress. We pray for advocates to arise to love and care for and help them, that many children will spend years in care without receiving abandonment decrees due to a failed system. And let's pray that the Lord raises up the right people to fight for them and help them be reunited with their families or forever adopted families. We pray for the specific children we met on the last trips. We, we've met over 200 children that are waiting forever families. Let's pray that the Lord will bring uh, advocates in their lives and that these children would find permanence through adoption. We pray for our families who are home and for the children that are home for adoption. We pray that families who are already home with their children, we pray for them as they adjust and care for and support and seek resources for their children. We're praying for their wisdom and their rest and their perspective. We pray for the children's hearts as they process their uh, former hurts and that they would find comfort and healing through Christ. We pray for the families in process. We just ask that you would, we just ask that the Lord would, would love on them and care for them and give them peace and endurance and that they'd use this time wisely to prepare their families for what's to come. And we pray for future families. We're, we're hoping that this Costa Rican program will grow and we pray that the Lord would bring the right families to the program so that the children can be loved and discipled in forever families. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for the country of Costa Rica. Uh, specifically for Pani and the central authority there. We just ask that you would give them wisdom and encouragement and resources as they evaluate children and families and work hard to advocate for better processes. We pray specifically for Jorge, the adoption director, as well as his team, Sonia, Elizabeth, and Sylvia. We just ask that you would give them wisdom and that you would support them. And Lord, that they would help these children that are waiting be matched with waiting families. And Lord, we just ask as well that you would bring resolution to the disparage that, that exists between the federal government offices and the regional government offices of Pawnee. We just ask that better a resolution can come so that these children can be advocated in a better way. Lord, we pray for all the missionaries that we work with, for Ray and Lydia Zirkel and Steve and Georgiana Thomas and Marjorie and Tyler and Casa Viva. We just ask that you would give them provision and protection and wisdom and understanding. And Lord, that you would just uh, bind their hearts to the mission that you have called them to. Lord, we just as well pray for all the children of Costa Rica. We just ask that they would come to know you no matter what their circumstances are, no matter where they are. We just ask that you would bring people in their life that would bear forth the gospel. Lord, we just ask as well that you would be with families who have brought children home, that you would give them wisdom and rest and perspective. And for those children, we pray that they would heal from, from former hurt and that they would be able, to, uh, be able to speak of the trauma that they have experienced so that they can find true healing uh, in Christ. 
And Lord, we pray for families that are waiting, that you would give them peace and endurance and wisdom and help them to use this time wisely that they have as they wait for their forever child. And Lord, we also pray for future families. Lord, I, we just ask that you would bring many missional-minded families that would want to adopt from the beautiful country of Costa Rica to give these over 200 waiting children a chance at a home, a family, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad. Lord, we know that ultimately you can do all of this and even if you don't, that you will work in mighty ways in Costa Rica. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work. It's in your great name that we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.